You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studio. Signal. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Training. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and just Jason. No Amanda today, guys. Sorry, but she is at the hospital. Um, you guys will hear more of this current saga we've been we've been walking our way through in the future. I am certain we'll talk more about it. But today she is busy taking care of grown up stuff again, and I'm sitting here playing on the computer. And I figured I would just go ahead and find somebody to hang out with me while I was playing around the computer. And so I have David Ambrose, the author of A Place Called Home. You can find him at davidambrose.com. Is that correct, Dave? That's correct. A M B R O Z. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get that spelling right or you're not going to find it. So David, we, we got you in here today because you had reached out to us. I looked at some of the stuff and I went, wow, not only do just like our mind lineup, we talked a little bit before yeah. this, but our mind lines up with the fact that so many people say, man, I, I wish I could do something. Everybody cares enough to wish they could do something. And people don't get around to doing yeah. many things. And it makes me a little bit insane, but you also have a story that, that fits into this whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my family story began uh, 40 plus years ago in New York City, where I was born into homelessness with my mom and, and two siblings. And we spent more than a decade kind of wandering in and around New York City and different East Coast places, just struggling to survive. And uh, that's what we did just before we entered foster care. When I was about 12 years old, um, all three of the kids went into foster care at that point. But before then, uh, we were we were a family unit that just happened to live on the streets. That is just blows my mind when I read that. I went, wait, what? I mean, ten years living on the streets. How, how does yeah. that even happen? Yeah, I mean, it's too unfortunately, it's too common. I mean, this is a country where eight point four, eight point six million children in America live in abject poverty today. Over the last 30 years, we've halved that number, but we still have more work to do. I was researching recently and I came across a interesting and disturbing fact, which is no presidential debate has used the phrase child poverty since 1999. You have upwards of 8.4, 8.5 million kids and no one's talking about them. And we just relentlessly discuss and debate coal miners, which is important. We should talk about the couple thousand of them that are still there, but we don't seem to prioritize the millions of children who don't vote, who don't have political power and whose families are on the lower rungs of our perceived you know, hierarchy. And those kids need us. They need us to care. They need us to pay attention. They need us to, to be their voice. But that's how it's possible. We, we look away. We look away at the car accident of kids uh, struggling in this country for the basics. And then we're like, oh, someone else will take care of that. Oh, isn't that a shame? It is a shame. It's our shame. We need to do better by them. Oh, man, you're you're speaking my language. You know, I kind of had one of those moments. And, and I, I talk about when when I first uh, thought seriously about foster care. And, and it goes back to I, I was raised in a, in a religious organization that I don't necessarily 
agree with the way that they they approached um, religion in general. It didn't seem like a healthy thing to me growing up, and I was I was kind of re um, re inventing my own not inventing but re-experiencing what spirituality meant to me in, in my life and i was i was listening to a program on the radio where someone had said something along the lines of if one family out of every third church in america was to adopt a kid out of the foster system we'd empty the, the system out tomorrow and i went wait a second one family out of every third church that's that's not undoable period why do sure. we have like pandemic crisis levels of kids not being taken care of? And I was getting really good and self-righteous in my own thoughts going, yeah, all you high and mighty holy rollers over here. You think you're so good. What are you doing? I don't want to, I don't want to blame this necessarily on, on God, but the voice in my head said, what are you doing? Asshole. And I thought, well, I think oh. all of us need to step up. You know, I, I think uh, we need to thank folks who currently open their home we're all too quick to throw stones and, and, and point out their faults. And I certainly have earned that license, but that's not where I spend my energy. The, the real shame is not the people who do it. It's the rest of us, regardless of our religious or spiritual values that do nothing. If we're not going to foster, that's fine. There's many different ways to contribute to the crisis of kids and poverty and it's getting better, but we have to pay attention. We have to care. And it's not a burden that people have because they have a value system. It's a burden because we're Americans and we've agreed that these families need need work. And then we take the kids into custody and then the rest of us need to do our job, which is either to be an active citizen or to open up our homes, our hearts, our minds, our wallets, somehow get involved and engaged in the topic. I don't need you to fix everything if that's not where you're able to do. What can you do? Absolutely. You know, that's, that's one of the struggles I have, you know, and, and for me, it was in that moment of where I was still working through my own, my own experience in, in that, um, in that church type organization I grew up in that was that I was busy being self-righteous about them. But, but what you say is true. We, it's because we should have a value system. We should know right from wrong. And I don't care if, if you go to this church or that church, or if you don't go to a church at all, we as human beings have, have a, a joint in understanding of what right and wrong is. That's why we have a yeah. justice system. It's not okay I, to murder people. That's right and wrong. Yeah, we know. I, 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 I am so bullish and optimistic about what we can do when we decide to do it. We forget that we are a country and a people that sent a person to the moon. We can figure out how to help kids and families living in poverty. This is, this is not rocket science. It's lifting up communities. It's it's providing the basic necessities. It's not leveraging children to make a political point or win a battle on a controversial topic. I'm reminded always when I think about poverty programs, how it's like the program, each of these programs is like a lifeboat. And the program is a person that reaches into the water to lift the person in poverty out of the water. And then that person takes a deep breath and is like, <gasps> And then the program drops them back into the water. And then another program comes along and lifts them out of the water. And you are grateful in that moment for that breath. But wouldn't it be nice to get the hell out of the water and into the lifeboat? And so when we look at humans and what we can do individually, part of it is realizing that just like yourself, people are messy and that's okay. Humans are messy. We need love. We need each other to take care of each other. And if you can't open up your home, that's fine. What can you do? And at the very least, you could educate yourself. But the next thing, maybe give a dollar for a scholarship. But another thing, support an organization out there that does good work around child poverty. There's so much you can do. And I believe we should and can. We, we've done this before. We, we have done big things in this country. 
Absolutely. It's not that complicated to, to find a boy that you can help. You know, if you know a foster parent, I'm going to tell you, we could all use a little bit of support. Amanda and I had a date night where we went somewhere and did something uh, sometime a long time ago. It's probably getting close to a year now since the last time we actually had the opportunity to go out and have a date night, right? Like if you know somebody, you can take the kids for an evening. I mean, that that's not that's not that huge of a thing. We're not asking for you to, to I don't need your taxes to go up 10% so that you can you can help out a little here and there. Something like that is wonderful. It's and and uh, to be fair and honest, in our home, our kids have enough specific diagnoses that make that more of a challenge. And so, if you want to watch my kids, you have to actually know them fairly well to be able to do that. But just simple things. There are ways yeah. to help people. There are ways to be a good human that don't involve just taking kids into your home. Because some people, quite frankly, some people are not wired to do that. And if you're not, sure. we don't want you to do it. Yeah, I truly believe that more people can and should. Uh, uh, I think the best reform policy I ever suggest is that people close their eyes and imagine if they had to put their child into foster care, what does that system look like? And that's the reform we need to achieve, that you would feel comfortable and okay placing your own child. And that biggest part of that is making sure we recruit and retain the best people to care for children uh, humanly possible and do whatever it takes to do that. And there's simple ways. My book provides an afterword. Uh, which is a written policy proposal on how we can do different things, including recruiting and retaining the best people to do this work. Yeah, because it's most people don't don't ever have the idea of what if your kids went into foster care. But if if you and your partner get in a car tonight and drive down the road and get killed and you don't have it all figured out, maybe you're you're kind of like us. And and my family my family does not have longevity in in our genes. I'll just say it that way. Uh, most of my family is not around. Where would my kids go? And sure. if, if I don't have any place set aside for my kids to go, the state has to deal with that. And that's what you're setting up for your children because an accident happened that you did not expect. I mean, get on here on these interstates anytime and the chance of getting killed on the highway is not as low as we'd all like to think it is. Jason, do me a favor. Don't die. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think even if you, even if it weren't necessarily your kids, the exercise is important because at the end of the day, foster children and children in poverty, but in particular foster children are quite literally wards of the state. We are the state. All of us are the state. So you already have children in foster care. They may not be your biological children or legally adopted children and what have you, but we could do better. We don't have to wait for that terrible moment. We could realize that these are, these are ours and we could do better and we should do better. Now you mentioned that, that you made it to, well, you were 12 years old when you came into the foster system, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so for the, and, for the final time. So you grew up, um, on the streets with your mom and two siblings, right? Yeah. Was there ever yeah. a dad was, do you know where you, who your biological dad is? Have you met him? Is he part of your life? Uh, not, no, I do not know. And not part of my life. Um, and not something I often think about. Yeah. That's, that's one of those interesting things because man, I'm, I'm old enough that at this point, I know plenty of guys and I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the leadership team in a dad's group. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is, is that, that father wound that, that almost every man to some degree carries some of that around with them. And that is so challenging because, you know, in order to be a good father yourself, you, you end up, you have to deal with some of that. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. My dad was a good guy. 
he had some some ideas that I did not agree with necessarily. Um, we saw the world in different ways, but that's okay. We still had a great relationship, but I still had stuff I had to figure out how to walk my way through. And what has that been like for you as, as, because as a young man, I know that's part of just, just how guys think, right? That, like my dad was my superhero. And if you don't have, yeah. you're missing a part. Is that something you had to walk through or did you have like some mentors or somebody else who helped you walk through that? You know, I think that, uh, poverty disproportionately impacts women and, uh, fathers weren't a thing in my, my community where I grew up. Fathers were completely for the most part absent until I entered foster care. And then with one exception did not have good role models. Um, I didn't miss it. It was just, you know, you're born into normal. What is your normal? My normal was what it was. It's why I wrote the book, but you know, it's like when we look at a globe and we see North America in the North and South America in the South and Europe, you know, this way, there's no reason the globe couldn't be on its side. That's, there's no reason we orient our perspective the way we do. For me, my, my orientation was just fatherhood and father figures were not a thing. And you can't miss something you don't even know exists. Um, it was more about the day-to-day -day survival than it was about some sort of longing. Poverty is is absolutely, in, in my experience, was never about the future. Poverty was about surviving and what is next and what's going to happen next and how do I deal with what happens next. Maybe you think about tomorrow. You're not thinking about much further, or I wasn't as a child. I know I saw where you were talking about when you were in school and some of the nurses or teachers who would slip some, some food into your bag or something. And who are some of the people who you remember who really impacted your life because of their kindness? Yeah. I mean, it was big and small. Um, I would say, uh, there are moments that I write about in the book where folks who I thought I was, you know, hustling in, in whatever way, selling wrapping paper and taking the money or, or taking stuff out of people's cars or what have you. There's one story I tell in the book where we go into a restaurant and we sit down and we basically start eating on other people's food. And the store manager winks at us, basically knowing that we're not the right people to be eating that food, but understands that we need it. So it was big and small. The one that stands out big is a woman by the name of Holly, who I talk about in the book. Holly was a person that was a camp director, and I went to work for her as a young volunteer. And she wasn't a foster parent, but she saw the abuse that I was experiencing in foster care at another placement. And she tried to get me, and it didn't work out right away, but she kept at it. And years later, I actually ended up living with her. So I didn't always need everyone to be a Holly. I don't expect people to stand up and, and do that kind of uh, work. But here's a you know blue collar family that opened up their home and fought to get me uh, with very little resources. Sometimes I needed a candy bar. Sometimes I needed to be warm in a place. We we had um, many individual and occasional angels that did just enough in that moment to sustain us. And sometimes that's all we can do as people, right? We can just sometimes help out a little bit, and that's okay. But uh, Holly is an example of the extreme in terms of someone who stepped up to salvage a young man that was disappearing. You know, just that, that calling to be kind, it's something that I think everyone has the ability to do that. And, 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 you know, it's in our family in some places, right. And it's in other places, like we, we've been going back and forth between one of the children's hospitals here in St. Louis and, um, 
I don't know if you know St. Louis at all, but downtown St. Louis has some areas that are not places you want to hang around a whole lot, right? Every major metro does. St. Louis just has some has some specifically challenging areas, we'll call it. And it, it's got a lot to do with the poverty and the drugs that are there. And, and there's a lot of people. And my wife is notorious because I'll be talking to her on the phone and I'll hear her go, hang on just a second. And then I... I hear her talk to somebody for a second and I'll hear her say, you know, God bless you or something. And, she, and then she takes off and I'm like, who was that? And she's like, Oh, there's, there's a guy here at the, at the, at the corner who was, um, who was hungry. And, and I, you know, I, we had some food or I had some whatever. And, and I'm like, and for me I, now, mind you, I drive for a living and I drive around in the major metros a lot. I could not possibly give to every person I see. So I, I get really like, I, I, I take the time to look at people and, and notice things like, like if you're standing there with a brand new pair of work boots on and, and you're, you're asking for money, my, my less kind sides, like use those work boots, man, go make money. Uh, You'll be good to go. But sure. she, she's, that's one of the things that she's called to do when she sees someone in need, you know, if she goes into Walmart and there's, there's somebody sitting out front a, with a, a husband and a wife and a couple of kids say, Hey, hungry, need food, whatever. She's going, going in the store to get the, the list the stuff on our list because we need it for the house and sure. she'll come out with something for them. It's just, and I don't even know what she's doing half the time. And we're walking, I'm like, we're parked over here. She's like, hang on. We're going to go over here real quick. And she'll walk over and that's just how she's wired. And I think yeah. that's something that every one of us can do that costs very, very little amount of money, very little time. But just to give that kindness to somebody when they're in that place looking for survival. Yeah. yeah, I think people often ask me, like, you know, do you give money to homeless people? The answer is, is sometimes yes, sometimes no. I certainly do when it's a child. But the right answer is we all need to collectively prioritize this in our politics. It's one thing to do what your wife does, which is beautiful. And it's the occasional angel I mentioned. It's another thing, I think, to systemically approach this and say, how do we make sure that no families end up recycled through poverty? Well, when's the last time I lock, you know, logged into a meeting of my local government and asked them a question about poverty? When's the last time I did anything other than the immediate thing? So for instance, did I ever go to a school board meeting or am I, do I even know how foster care is run in my, my county? And if you don't know those answers, then maybe part of your solution is not just giving a dollar or buying a, buying something, but giving your time you know, giving your mind space. I, I, I am always struck when I see big sporting events, how, how deep the knowledge that people have around individuals and teams over decades, their statistics, the players, their family stories. And yet we throw our hands up and go, gosh, I can't figure out this local government thing. I, I don't know how foster care is run. Ah. Maybe part of it is doing that individual work, but also realizing that government is a description of the sandbox that we all get to play in so we don't kill each other. And we are active participants in that government and especially for children, especially for children. They do not vote. They do not have the organizational capacity. They don't have the political power and we, they need us. And so I always, I always give to kids in the past that ask me for money. I mean, I, I'm it's still who I am and I appreciate that about your wife. But what I would say to your listeners in your community is we all need to talk about this issue. We need to talk about kids and center it as much as we do about sports. Um, we need to talk about the 8.4, 8.6 million kids living in poverty every day. That needs to be part of our mind space, not just who won the, the this game or that game or who's you know being voted on or what does this celebrity think. We should center this in our politics. And that's that's what I think this country is about. And I, 
I'm, I'm again, I'm like so optimistic that we'll get there and we are getting there again. We, we've halved child poverty by half in the last 30 years. We can go further. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're right. It's one of the things that makes me insane. I work in a, in a, a job that's, it's primarily, it's, it's uh, mostly men in, in my industry. And I'm always amazed at the number of guys who can tell you how many sacks this, this guy had, you know, all the stats on the offensive line or the defensive line or what team is going to get the next great guy in the, in the next draft and, and how many home runs or singles or doubles are like, I'm going to be real honest. The only sports I watch anymore have players that are usually under five foot tall because they, they usually have my last name on their Jersey. (laughs) That's the only sports I have time to watch, but but we, we can do that as a nation. We know so much about something as important as this team full of grown men who play a game on TV. And we let go of the, the important things like like kids in our life, in our, in our community. And I tell people this all the time, like right where you're at right now, unless you're out in the middle of Montana, within a mile of you, there are probably five different kids who need help right now within a mile of you. And you've got to do something about that if you're going to if you're going to really care about this stuff. Your microphone's muted, David. I just, yeah, I mean, I'm muting because I'm making all these noises. I want you to finish your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, quite true. But that's the part we have to inspire, and that's why we share stories. You know, part of the reason I shared my story is to not lecture, but to hopefully inspire you that you see this journey that I've been on this Forrest Gump like journey that has taken me to really random and amazing places and, and uh, struggle in some dangerous situations. But ultimately I think it's our stories amongst each other that lift people up and inspire us to do something more than uh, walk by, walk by and wait for someone else to fix the problem. So that's why I think the power is. And that's, that's where I'm going out and talking to your people like yourself and hopefully your, your, your audience and then others about, my journey and what I think should have happened in our country. So what do you think if if you could wave the magic wand and, and change one thing in the child welfare system right now, what do you think would be one of the most impactful things we could change? I think it would be, I'm going to not answer your question because I want to answer it differently. I think it's this idea that um, it can't be fixed. I think what I would want to change is our fundamental belief that we collectively, not just the child welfare community, but all of us can can do whatever we want. We could tomorrow have a have the system we would put our own child in safely and, and with comfort. That belief is the core of what ails us. Everything else is symptoms. We have to systemically believe and root out any disbelief that we could have the the most ideal system for children, and we should. I think about, for instance, public schools, we've just decimated their budgets and, and shrunk and, and put more and more burdens on teachers and schools. And, and then we're shocked, shocked, shocked when we can't find teachers who, who want to get underpaid and overworked. We're like, why, why, why don't they want to go in this profession anymore? Because it's hard. Because when you make schools, the, the hospital and the therapy place and the place where they have to take active shooter drills and all these other things, we have to resource them and support them. And my sister is a social worker and I asked her what she does. And she's one time years ago, she said to me, she goes, I don't do social work. I do paperwork. 
Mm, yeah. Uh, and it was such a moment for me here. We have this amazing, compassionate, educated individual who's an expert at her field in a moment of peak, but truth sharing what she does, which is she feels like she spends most of her time doing paperwork. And I think we could design better. So my, my thing that I would change is our disbelief in each other and our ability to fix things. Cause that's the root of so much that ails us. We have just forgotten that we can do big things together. We look at each other and we're proud when we fill a pothole. And it's like, we sent someone to the moon. We sent someone to the moon. We are the most amazing equitable uh, we've ever been. We have so much struggle we have to still deal with, but we've made so much progress. And all we do is we see the deficits and we see each other as strangers and we don't think we can work together. And I don't know where the hell that came from, but I don't like it and I don't want it anymore. So the thing I would root out is this misconception, this, this cancer that is metastasizing and hurting us. I want us to re-believe in each other, that we can do big things. Uh, and I think that's completely doable. I think it's completely doable. And we're going to get there by sharing each other's story. Oh, absolutely. It's doable. It's something that I think, and I'm going to place this, the blame pretty squarely on the uh, the shoulders of politics because, man, what I see is, I see all the Republicans talking about how horrible the Democrats are and all the Democrats talking about how, how horrible the Republicans are. And quite frankly, most of us can't actually honestly line our, ourselves up 100% with either party. But in the process, we've learned to hate each other and point fingers and call names. And we've, we've become like, like a, a third grade schoolyard as opposed to grown adults who look and see problems and go, hey, we can just go fix something. Let's do that instead. Can we just go fix the problem instead of arguing over who's going to help me fix it? Yeah, I think all of us have the agency to control ourselves. And so we don't have to convince a party. We don't have to uh, jump in and, and uh, deal with the meta of it all. We, we fetishize our national politics and we, we don't even know who's on the school board. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles and I hear a lot of folks talk about the homelessness crisis we have here. And yet they talk about the mayor and the reality is homelessness in Los Angeles is governed by the county, the county supervisors. And most folks don't understand that or choose not to. And then they also don't know their supervisor's names. How can we hold our government accountable if we don't know who's in charge of this particular crisis? It's the issue of our time. And I listen to folks complain and like, but I voted. You know, voting every four years is not this republic make. You have to be active, especially for children that don't have that vote. And it can be very simple. I'm not asking folks to uh, necessarily foster and adopt. Just show up. Meetings now on Zoom. Ask a question. Get engaged. Do a little Googling. Learn a little bit more. And then give a damn. And then for if you have more capacity, mentor. If you have more capacity, give a dollar for a scholarship. If you have more capacity, do what you called earlier, respite care. Give foster parents a break one weekend. There's plenty of nonprofits that can arrange that. There's so much we can do. Um, and what my story shows, I think again and again, as you mentioned earlier, are the occasional angels that gave me just enough to get through the next, the next period. And uh, those folks made my life possible. We could do that. All of us can do that. Yeah, because I'm going to be honest. Um, I've had enough people tell me over the years, and I know they're right. You can't save them all, man. You can't save them all because if everything goes according to what it, what it looks like it's going to go. And trust me, my life, I, as, as many times I've thought I've known how it's going to happen, God giggles and says, oh, yeah, watch this. And so it never works out the way that I always expect. But I could end up with, with nine children in the next 
12 years or so nine kids like i'm running out of years okay i i know that if this if this baby comes to my house and stays long term which is kind of what it looks like i mean if we just figure the past as an idea of what the future will be i'll be 63 years old when she graduates high school ladies and gentlemen i am running out of years <laughs> you know i can't do this forever i won't i won't live forever i already know that part i don't know when but i i have a plan to die at some point in life it's going to end and and i would love to be able to do more and and a lot and that's one of the things about this podcast is you know one of the reasons we keep going i've had several people reach out and say hey i really appreciate what you guys talk about it's convinced my wife and i to start the classes to do foster care and i'm like that yes thank you that's what i want to hear that's that's why why we still do this because it can make a difference because if i've had you know roughly 30 kids come through my house if five more people did that that's 150 kids and and i'm still trying to figure out how to how to turn that number from 150 to 150,000, but I haven't got that, that size of, of a change figured out yet, but we're, we're going to, if we all work together, we can change the things that matter. And that's what matters. Yeah. Whatever it is, your capacity, it start it's starting with this idea that we, what can I do? Uh, and for me right now, the idea was I'm going to share my story. That's what I could do. That's the connections and the skills that I learned in my life. And that's what I thought was my most potent tool to help at this moment in my life. And I think all of us can do something. I, I truly believe in our agency as a people. We every day get up and decide what life we want to live. And it doesn't mean we're not struggle, but we get to decide. And you're winning at the life that you have right now. You're winning at it. Uh, so help others. And that can manifest in any different way. Um, and I believe, like, like you said, with your own story, you have a particular capacity. You have a compassion. You have a space. You have the skill and the patience to do that work, which is amazing. Many people won't. And that's cool too. That's cool too. We don't need anyone to, uh, you know, uh, do things that I think are impossible, but there's so much you can do. And I hope people read the book, read the afterward, ask some questions locally and take some action. Even if it's just to learn a little bit more, one campaign, uh, I started a nonprofit. The, the nonprofit is running this campaign called Donate Your Small Talk. And the idea is you may not be able to foster or donate or what have you, but when you get in the elevator and someone's like, how was your weekend? Or you start a meeting and everyone's like, what did you have for lunch? Or how are your kids? The reality is in most of those moments, no one actually cares. So it's filler. It's like filler fruit. Just you're, you're, you're killing dead space. What if instead we talk about kids? What if every time in this country for the next months, you've come up with some things that are interesting about kids to you. Like, Hey, did you know uh, Coco Chanel was a foster kid? Or did you know Marilyn Monroe was or share? That's interesting to me. Or, Hey, did you know 700 kids entered foster care today? Next time someone asks you what you had for lunch, no one cares about your salad. <laughs> what if we talked about kids in whatever component or part of the kid's story that you're interested in? Like, Hey, did you know that there's 400,000 kids in public school in the city or whatever it is? I think if we start centering children in our discussion, our debates, as opposed to all the different controversial things we can't do, I think things would change. That's why we're running this campaign called Donate Your Small Talk. All of us could do it. It's free. You just Google some fun facts about kids in this country, and then you start weaving that into your dialogues. And all of a sudden, we're talking about kids. And how great is that? Absolutely. I'll throw one more kid on that list. And the one, one former foster youth I would love to have a chance to talk to because I think he's 
a, a wildly inter- interesting individual anyways, and that's Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson was, he was in the foster system. At least that's what the interwebs say. And I, I would love to be able to talk with him about, because, you know, Marilyn Monroe, you mentioned, and the number of, of people who have come through the foster system blows yeah. my mind. There's some people who, who I would love to hear their story because they've been wildly successful. And I think, yeah, and I, I, I just also would say, like, uh, foster kid success may be becoming the best damn contractor on earth, and that's awesome, too. But I think the point you and I are making is it's it's these remarkable folks that people don't know their full story. And we've been put into this bucket and box as foster community that we are um, failures. And what we try and show with some of these shiny objects are that we can change the world, too. But whatever your level of success is as a young person, uh, be it being the dan- best damn barista or becoming a small business owner or whatever. There's not a dearth of lawyers in California. There's not enough people that have the trade skills. So whatever it is for you to reach your full potential, but I actually start the after with a list, Ella Fitzgerald, Tina Turner, Carol Burnett, George Lopez, Senator Baldwin, Nancy Reagan, Eleanor Roosevelt. I list these and I had to prove them because we need to know each other. We're a people. We are a people. And what's remarkable out of people is we're so ignorant of our history and how remarkable it is. So I think I, I always also love this concept of as a gay man, I've had to come out again and again and again. I've always thought it'd be interesting if like foster and adoptive as a community, people whose grandma or them or whatever, if we could all come out and share our story with people in our life who may not know it again, like so much of my story in this book, like people in my life had no idea that I was homeless for more than a decade. What if we started sharing our stories? What if we donated that small talk and made this a more compassionate nation that lives up to the values we purport to stand for? I think it's doable. I think it's happening. I think we're exhausted by the uh, screaming. And a lot of people just want to get put their head down and do the work. And that's what people like yourself and I am trying to do every day. You know, one of the one of the more interesting podcasts I've I've listened to for years. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard Snap Judgment. But it's it's a podcast. It, I found it on on the radio at one point. Um, it's it's on NPR, and I can't listen to too much political stuff from either side for too long. But the thing about this podcast is it's a lot of storytelling, especially in his older episodes. And storytelling is such a powerful thing. He he's got a couple of them that that I've listened to a dozen times at least. And me, the big brown, scary looking hairy guy, I can't get to the end of one particular one without like without tears in my face. And I'm like, what is this doing to me? How, how's this happening? Yeah. But every time, and it's because it's because our stories are so powerful. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's what matters in life is that's how we connect as humans is by telling stories. And so that's why I love when people, when people can come on here and, and tell some of their story, when they can talk about the struggles of having spent a decade homeless, you know, yeah. and if I remember that your story, right. Um, you, your mom had some, some mental health issues in there as well. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine like homeless plus, I mean, we've seen mental health issues in, in my wife's family and whatnot to some degree. And man, that that's a challenge. Put homelessness on top of that. Yeah. And then you still made it and you're not, you, you, you're not like just this, this worthless human being today. You're, you're making changes in the world. You've, you've made it out of that hard place and you become not just a, a, a human who survived, but a human who's thriving and, and helping out other, other people. And if I yeah. remember right, did I see that you are also a foster parent now as well? Yeah. And I, you know, I like to dissuade people of the notion that 
foster kids should become foster parents. I think that's bullshit. If I can curse, um, foster kids don't owe a bill for what was done to them. So I, I don't think they should have to become social workers or probation officers or what have you. There is this like, there's like this, Oh, that's perfect. That's not perfect. That's not how it should be or should not be. It just is in my unique circumstance. Um, I don't think the burden should be placed on people who come through the system to to uh, uh, fix it or do it. It should be something they choose to do. And and I believe as an informed person with my life experience, I can add value. But I don't like caving this perception in society that foster kids, because they were abused, should become foster parents and and blah, blah, blah. I just don't want foster kids to feel that burden. They shouldn't. They didn't do anything to deserve what happened to them. However, I do think we make great foster parents. <laughs> All that said, and my sister's a social worker, and I think she's a phenomenal social worker because she is informed by her lived experience. I'm not denigrating that. I just want to relieve us as a people of a persecution and a burden that we don't we don't have to take on, but we might. And that volunteer, that spirit is going to make it a much more impactful uh, weapon for change. And that's what I hope I've become. My foster son is remarkable. I wasn't intending to become a parent. He, uh, he much like I did to Holly, just surprised me. And I fell in love with a young person with just a world of potential. He's doing great now. Um, I hope to do more uh, parenting. I'm not exactly sure how, but uh, I think there's a, a still more in me to give. At this moment, my energy, my passion is really focused on doing as much as I can to lift the story up and, and inspire people, make them interested in kids and families living in poverty, make them interested in foster, make them interested in the potential that we have as a country and as a people. Um, so I have been, I loved it. And I'm glad that uh, my next evolution now is the second act is this book. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that you're pushing, you know, from, from one, one place to the other, like this, uh, what, one of the things that I, I get told all the time and it makes me a little insane is, Oh, I can never do that. I, I just couldn't let them go. I couldn't, I would, I would love them too much. And now as somebody who has lived experience in the foster system, as a former foster youth, who do you want to be, you know, being foster parents in this, like what, what, if you could pick out like the perfect foster parents, to, to have lived with, what would that look like? Oh my gosh. You know, it's so interesting you say that. I, I've never thought of that. Um, what would a foster home look like? You know, families, in my experience, all of them, uh, even quote unquote, you know, normal families, it's a constant practice of forgiveness. <laughs> it's imperfect love and forgiveness. And you're either accepting it or giving it. And, uh, there is no perfect. Um, I think a home, regardless, that is based and full of love and high expectations, and um, uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. I didn't grow up with much, and my mom didn't didn't have much. But her three children have advanced degrees, and we have health, happy, healthy, thriving families. Um, that's a testament to my mom. You know, she lit a fire imperfectly as a parent. And the three of us are here today because of her doing what we do to make this world what we think of as a better world um, in our own unique ways. So I don't know, you know, you, I, I think sometimes people look at kids and they're like, how did those two parents create that beautiful baby or vice versa, right? <laughs> and the reality you. is <laughs> genetics is a lottery and, you know, who knows what home will help a kid thrive. 
safety, love, meeting the basics of, of uh, provisions of heat, warmth, food, and you're going to be okay. What do I think? I think foster parents today are overburdened. I think we have lower economic people doing God's work, the, 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 the country's work, and they are disparaged and condemned. And we think they're all doing it for the money. And we think horrible things about them. And I don't agree with that at all. Um, I believe those people exist. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But why don't we start with something else, which is let's look in the mirror and realize that upper income people, people with college degrees, they don't foster as much as a percentage. You know, why is that? Secular people don't foster as much. Why is that? What's going on? Why don't more queer people foster? We need to bring more people to the table to go along with the folks that already have stepped up to foster because there's not a home. There's so many different types of children with different needs, wants, and desires. As you talked about a little bit with your own story, you are the perfect person for your children. I don't know that I could handle it. The home that's going to help your child thrive is going to be different. And that's beautiful. That's why we need a diversity of people stepping up to do this work. Single parents, queer parents, married parents, religious parents, non-religious parents. We need everybody at the table doing this country's work. Because if we're going to give the state the power to break up families, which we should when necessary, we got to follow through. And we are the state. It's not out there. <laughs> you're it. If you're listening and you can vote, even if you don't, you're the state. And so every time you you, you denigrate or you complain, realize that you're just self-hating. Instead of self-hating, go fix it, whatever it is. So the perfect home to me, you know, would have been very different over the years. And many people gave me something that, even though it was painful, is a lesson that has made me the tool that I am for positive change in the world. Every single one of those parents, every single one of the people that walked by me in a condition of distress taught me a lesson. So do I want the life that I had? I don't think I would have selected it on the front end. Uh, I don't think anyone would have, but looking back, how could I, how could I not want it? How could I not have had the experiences I've had? How could I not have the love for siblings who we've been through hell? Um, I don't know. I don't know who I would have been. So I don't know about perfect. I think love in homes is a constant sense of sharing forgiveness. Like yoga, you have to practice it. Um, and that's perfect and that's fine. But what I encourage people to do is not wait for the perfect moment to do this work, but embrace the imperfect nature of every single moment of our messy human condition. Yeah. Perfect. Perfections don't, don't exist. There isn't a per perfect moment in my life. I've never met one. I've looked for them and I haven't found one yet. Um, and and I, I love what you're saying about the state because whether your, your Facebook tends to be filled with, with posts about Cheeto haired presidents or, or sleepy Joe or whatever your political leaning is, you know, once you realize that these problems out there, they're your problems, the state, I had a young kid one day who, um, who, who I asked him, you know, well, what do you want to be when he go when you grow up? And this was a young kid. I mean, he was probably, Oh, 10, eight, nine, 10 years old at the time. And he said, well, I guess I got to figure out a way to get a check from the government. I said, get a check from the government. What do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, it's, it's not like it cost anybody anything. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on. But let's, let's talk about who the government is. The government is people like me who get up at two o'clock in the morning to go to work and work the days like yesterday where I got up at two o'clock to go to work. I got off at five 30. 
5.30 in the afternoon, I drove all the way downtown to the children's hospital, and I didn't leave the children's hospital until about 10 o'clock last night. Yeah, I didn't get home till 11 o'clock. By the time I got home, it was an act of God that my eyes were open when I got off at my exit to go home, just exhausted and tired. This is a place where, where this I am the state. I am the money. You know, David, you are the money. You, you, you're creating things out there. You're selling books. You're, you're working. You're doing, you're creating this economy. You are creating this government. We are responsible for not just the actions of our government, but the inaction as well. And God knows in this conversation, there's a lot of inaction that, that we need to, to really figure out how to change. And that's, that's one of those things that you can't see the emoji on radio, but like, you know, the emoji where people are like holding their hands up, like, yes, uh, uh, as we would say in my community, uh, work, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, spot on. It's, I'm, I'm just blown away by the number of people who are, and, and I, like I said, I work with a lot of guys. I work with a lot of typical Midwestern American guys. And so many men that I meet are getting up and going to work five days a week all week long complaining about, you know, having to, having to deal with their kids and their wife and they get off of work and they, they live for the weekend so they can go home and drink beer and watch sports and complain about work all weekend. And on Monday, they're ready to start over complaining about home again at work. And that's what they live for. That's their life. And I'm like, Whoa, that's yeah. miserable. I guess yeah. important stuff. Let's do the important stuff then. Yeah. And, and this is the things that are most important in, in my estimation, because if you don't deal with these kids today, you're going to deal with them 20 years from now. They're, they're sure. going to be in the criminal justice system. Because if we don't help yeah. kids get through this, man, who, who will? If, if I don't do it today, if not me, then when? If not now, I'm sorry, if not me, then who? If not when, then how? Yeah, you, you, you know the, the saying, yeah. I can't get out. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, again, Everyone can do something, um, even if it's not fostering, even if it's not running for office, it's just caring enough to educate yourself or, or talking about it or whatever it is. Um, my, my pathway right now is, is this book. My pathway is telling my story and asking people to hopefully care, or inspire them. You may be the best damn volunteer or career coach or candidly just may show up at a school board meeting and ask the school board, what are you doing to help foster kids? I think there's so many ways we can, we can uh, uh, get back and change things. And, and honestly, this is the most rewarding part of my life. Uh, don't tell everyone else, but this truly has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And uh, not doesn't mean it doesn't come without a cost. It's, it's hard sharing your story and, and, and seeing it out there and asking, having people ask about it. But it's also, you know, that friction, that discomfort is where the change happens, right? Uh, when you go to the gym and you feel sore, that's your muscle building. So this is my muscle building, hopefully to be a stronger weapon of change. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't have to worry about the gym too much. I, <laughs> I don't have time for the gym anymore. <laughs> I, should. I really I should. But I, 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 I'm too tired most days. You know, like I mentioned with, with this, this baby girl that, that we're working with down at the NICU. I mean, we are, whew, man, we are, we are neck deep in it. I don't, I don't have many days where it's not scheduled from, from before sun up till after sundown, but, but man, it's, it's how we create a meaningful life. And, and I love yeah. what you're doing here, the way you're sharing your story, because that is such an amazing way to create a meaningful life and change the world around us in ways that will matter a hundred years from now. I feel like people like you are going to give the, uh, are, are going to, going to have a legacy that, 
you don't need a, a tombstone to, to talk about your legacy. It'll, it'll be written out in, in your life story and on the hearts of the people that you affected. Ah, your lips, uh, to the universe here. Um, this is great. I really appreciate this. I love, I love what you do. I love the community you've created around this conversation. So just thank you for having me. This is like a deeper conversation I get to have most days and I appreciate it deeply. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. Again, your, your book is, is, um, is called a place to call home by David Ambrose. And I assume it's, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the places. Yeah. Anywhere you, your favorite local bookstore, a place called home, you can, uh, just Google it and find it. And, uh, I appreciate everyone, uh, that reads it, share it, review it, um, give it to someone, not because it's some sort of money-making proposition, but because we need to share each other's stories, especially those. Uh, for for a people whose story has not been told for too long. So thank you for putting me on blast today. I really appreciate it. And one little hack I heard somebody mention recently is go to your local library and ask for the book. There it is. Yeah. If they can order it in, then think yeah. how many more times it can it can get percent. Yeah. It, it can be seen by so many more people. So so yeah, there's there's always a way. And there will be a link in the show notes below this on your podcast player there to find the book and find David's website. And uh, that, that'll all be there like, like it always is. So if anybody wants to find David, you can do that. And, uh, and I wish you nothing but success in this endeavor, David. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I appreciate it. Okay, Foster Care Nation, thank you for listening to David's story. Now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash foster care UJ. And don't forget, we have an account over at buy me a coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash foster care links to everything are in the show notes on your show, on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled <laughs> Studios. <laughs> <laughs>